T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is WEEI Late Night with Brian Barrett on WEEI. The Boston Celtics with a magnificent performance. A beatdown here in game two over the Miami Heat. Once again, they bounce back after a loss. Duncan Robinson, a little shaken up. The Celtic fans here in attendance, they're still here and they're cheering. Now Miami are just inbound. Meanwhile, the first home loss of the playoffs for the Heat, they were 7-0 would get blown out on their home floor here in game two. Eastern Conference Finals all tied up at one apiece as it will now head to Boston for games three and four. Marcus Smart's return. What a bonus for the Boston Celtics. As Jimmy Butler in the heat go down at home and now look to respond the way the Celtics responded here in game two. Well, here we go with you up until 1 o'clock. That was an absolute beatdown that the Celtics put on the Miami Heat. And this isn't even slightly hyperbolic or overreactionary. I just don't believe that the Heat are at the same level as the Celtics are. These are two different teams. The Celtics are the far superior team. Think about everything that had to transpire for the Celtics to lose game one of the series. They had to have an epic meltdown where they were outscored 39-14 to 14 in the third quarter of the game. 39-14. to 14. One of the worst quarters we have seen from this Celtics team all season long. The only thing I can remember that is similar to that, like obviously the meltdown you had against the Milwaukee Bucks, but that was a 14-point lead that you blew. I'm not defending that meltdown, but that wasn't nearly as bad as the third quarter we saw the other day when the Heat got out to that 22-2 run. The only thing I can think of is that Bulls loss earlier this season before the Celtics turned the corner. Other than that, I can't remember the Celtics playing that poorly in any stretch of basketball in months. So it took the meltdown A. And remember, there's another component to the whole factor of the Celtics losing that game one. And I'm not making excuses for them. They should have won game one. They really should be up 2-0 in this series. But they didn't have Marcus Smart in that game, and they didn't have Al Horford. So you're talking about two of your best defensive players, two of your starters, the defensive player of the year in Marcus Smart, Al Horford, one of the most versatile defenders in the league, who's defended more isolation possessions than anyone in the postseason, than anyone during the regular season, and he sort of makes everything work as it pertains to your offense or rather 
for your defense, the switchability, the scheme that you want to run. You can't do that with Daniel Tice, which is another thing. I thought Ime Adoka did a really nice job tonight. Just take Tice out of the damn rotation. Al's back. Tice doesn't play. It was an interesting move, too, to say, okay, well, Derek White's out. I thought maybe that means more minutes for Neesmith, but Neesmith doesn't play at all. Instead, he just goes with a really short bench, of course, until garbage time. But my overwhelming point is it took an epic meltdown, and it took two of your starters being out of the lineup for the Heat to beat you in game one of this series. So that's why when I look at this whole thing, I just don't believe that this Heat team is close to where the Celtics are at. And I know you can be, well, they don't have Kyle Lowry right now. Yeah, you realize Lowry has not had a great season for them. Now, he will help them. He pushes the ball in transition. And we don't even know when that guy or if that guy is going to come back. He tried to come back against the Sixers, and he had no burst whatsoever. And that hamstring was clearly hindering his ability to get up and down the floor. He does help their transition offense. But we're talking about a guy that's averaging 13 points a game, that's shooting 44% from the field and 37% from three. He's not the guy that you remember from that series in the bubble a couple of years ago against the Raptors when he was still at the back end of his prime. He's way post-prime now. So I don't see him being this big factor in the series that's going to turn everything around. It's not like the Bucks not having Middleton and getting Middleton back, what that would have done for Milwaukee. It's nowhere near that level right now with Kyle Lowry. I just feel... Like, based on everything that's happened over the past two games, everything tells me that this is going to be a significantly easier series for the Celtics than the Milwaukee Bucks series was. And I do have to just mention this off the top here. And by the way, if you want to join us, we're with you until 1 o'clock. 617-779-7937, the number. Do you believe that this is going to be a relatively easy series for the Celtics? I predicted them before the series to win in five. I could see the Heat pulling off one more home game when they go back there for game five. But I really, truly believe the Celtics are going to reverse sweep this thing, gentlemen sweep this thing where they lost the first one, they win the rest of the games in this series. I just don't look at this Heat team as being on the same level as the Celtics. They don't have nearly enough offensive firepower to deal with the Celtics. And if Jason Tatum is going to play the way that he played tonight, in terms of what you saw in this game tonight was quick decisions from Tatum. When he got in trouble in the last game, it's he wasn't decisive enough with his decisions, and he was turning the basketball over, as we saw in that third quarter where he had six turnovers, and the Celtics gave away 12 points off their own turnovers. But tonight, there was a conscious effort of Tatum to get the ball out of his hands quickly or make a quick decision, whether that's, okay, I'm getting downhill, I'm getting to the basket, um, hitting somebody in terms of a roller like a Robert Williams. But everything Tatum did tonight, it was done with a purpose, and it was done quickly. I would also say this. I know I'm mentioning the fact that he was making his decisions quickly. But one thing that we saw in the third quarter of game one is they sped him up a little bit, right? They sped Jason Tatum up, and tonight they couldn't do that. He was in complete control of everything that he really wanted to do. And it really did feel like, to me, the game that Tatum had tonight, it wasn't what we saw like in game six, where game six was, okay, I got to go for 40. I got to outplay Giannis Antetokounmpo. And then what we saw in game seven was Tatum sort of eased his way into the game. And Tatum has done a much better job really since the start of the new year in terms of leading the dance, running the show. He manipulated the Heat defense tonight, right? He made them cave. He did it on his terms. And that's what we saw in game seven. He sat back, and then when he needed to, right? Like he got Jalen off to a really good start tonight, and then it was about Tatum just completely taking over the game. That's what the best players in the world do. They pick and they choose their spots because Tatum knows at any point during the game he can go off. But it's imperative that he gets some of these other guys 
to have big performances like we saw from Jalen Brown tonight. So I really did appreciate the overall floor game from Tatum here. Obviously, it's great to get Marcus Smart back because of what he does in terms of helping Tatum with some of the playmaking. He has 12 assists in this game. That was obviously massive to get him back. And obviously, the contributions that he provides to this team on the defensive side, we all know what that is in terms of he can spend time on Jimmy Butler. He can spend time on Tyler Hero. You can put him on anybody essentially on that Heat offense, and it just completely changes and alters what the Heat do offensively when you have two elite defenders, and that's what Al is. You have two elite defenders that didn't play in the last game. So, yes, Pritchard was on the floor, but Pritchard was definitely a plus in this game. I mean, he was really good in terms of his ability to knock down shots, and in this game tonight, he was a plus 39, the highest plus minus in the entire game, and he wasn't exposed defensively. I give Ime Adoka a lot of credit as it pertains to that. He picks and chooses his spots with Pritchard so he knows where he can sort of hide him defensively. Not that he'd ever come out and say that, but he makes sure that he's not on the court when the Heat have one of their better offensive units out there, so to speak. But my overwhelming point is Pritchard was the only weak defender the Celtics played tonight. They took Tice out of the lineup, of course. Derek White obviously couldn't play due to the birth of his child. So you have Tatum, Horford, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams. You had one deep, weak defender in the rotation tonight, which was Peyton Pritchard. So just getting those two back, instead of having two weak defenders playing, when you're talking about Tice and Pritchard, it just totally altered the Heat's offense. The Heat were completely overwhelmed after the beginning of the game, right? The Heat started the game off well. They hit three of their four first four threes. And then after that moment, Ime Adoka takes that timeout. The Celtics outscored the Heat the rest of the first half, 62-27. to 27. Hey, That's just a ridiculous half. And that wasn't a meltdown for the Heat. What we saw from the Celtics in the third quarter, that's why I'm incredibly confident that this is going to be a short series. If you go back to what happened in the Celtics in the third quarter, I give the Heat some credit. Obviously, they got to hit some of those shots. But the Celtics completely just lost their damn minds. I, Jason Tatum couldn't dribble. Jalen Brown couldn't dribble. With the Heat tonight, they just got their ass kicked. It wasn't like they were just playing incredibly poorly. It was the Celtics kicked their ass. And I didn't feel like that was the case in the third quarter of game one. I just felt like the Celtics, they screwed themselves over. They shot themselves in the foot way too many times. Tonight, this was a statement from the Celtics to send to the Heat. We're the way better team than you. And quite frankly, it's not remotely close. And I do appreciate the fact that when you have a star like Jason Tatum, after your team plays poorly, he's the guy that has to set the tone. And Jason Tatum, every time the Celtics have lost a game this postseason, he's responded in a major way. You go to game two of the series, and I know that Al Horford was great in that game. Jason Tatum closed it out. Or I should say game four, Jason Tatum closed it out. Game two of that series against the Bucs, Jalen Brown gets it started. Jason Tatum closes it out. Game six, we all know the histrionics on that one. Jason Tatum goes for arguably his best performance of all time, 46 big ones, 16 in the fourth quarter. And then tonight he responds in a major way, 27 points. And I know Jimmy Butler had 29 points, but Tatum outplayed him. Jimmy Butler had 29 points on 23 shooting possessions. Jason Tatum went for 27 points on 16 shooting possessions. So the efficiency way up for Tatum compared to Jimmy Butler. And the other thing I'd say real quickly is just to give you the numbers on this. Here is Tatum after a loss this postseason. 33 a game, 46 of 89, that's 51.7%. 19 of 41, that is 46.3%. So when the Celtics lose, Jason Tatum responds in a major way the next game. It's happened every time. 
I went into this game tonight, especially after we got the news that Al and Marcus Smart were playing. I thought there was no chance the Heat were going to win. Did you really think this Celtics team, what we've seen from the Celtics team in the second half of the season, did you really think there was a chance they were going to lose tonight? I didn't believe it for a second. I would be shocked if this team doesn't get to the finals. Absolutely shocked. I mean, knock on wood, like a major injury. I would be absolutely heated, pun intended. I would be irate if the Celtics don't beat this team. They are far superior. 617-779-7937, the number. What do you make of this win for the Celtics? Do you agree with me that this is going to be an easy series? Let's kick it off with David. He's in a car. Hey, good evening or good night, I should say. Obviously, you're absolutely right. This will be a short season. And my thing is, you know, these guys, the way, you know, when Marcus is on the floor, the way he compliments um, Jason Tatum and Al on the floor, that's the difference we're seeing. We saw tonight from from Tuesday night. When those two guys are on the floor, Marcus and, um, you know, I mean, it just, it brings to the young guys, it brings them into a different role. And that's that's just greatness. And and I tell you, the only thing is, I am so disappointed a while back when we kept hearing how Marcus should be traded when they brought Al back. But well, David, why are you upset about that now? Why do you care about that now? Mar- Marcus Smart wasn't traded. Time, He's now the point guard. Why are you I, mad about that? I, I'm mad for this reason. Because at the time, I was against him being traded. I was against him when people, you know, people on, on these talk shows saying how Al coming back was a mistake. And, and, and I always fought for it that it wasn't a mistake. Marcus should stay. Well, David, hold on. Let me, say, let me say something. If that was your take, that Marcus Smart should stay, and you liked Al Horford coming back, I mean, you've been proven correct, yeah. so I don't know why you're mad. Because, I, no, I, I'm, I'm upset because the people were against and Now they're all in favor, and that's what upsets me because – you oh, know, you're saying people you flip flops. You, you should still admit the fact that oh, you were against okay. it, but now you love it. I see what you mean. That's so you want an apology bad. from some of the people that didn't want yes. Al back? I, okay. Guys, all right. Lou and Mutt. Whoa! Those guys, they all should apologize. All right, Lou yes, and Mutt. I will. I will talk to both of them and tell them that they owe the fans an apology. I'll let my guy Mutt know, they and do. I'll let Lou know for you. They all want. They all one of those guys gone. All right, David. Appreciate the did. call, my friend. His Thank line, you, buddy. His line's, open here. If you want to... <laughs> His line's open if you want to grab it. 617-779-7937, the number. Now, by the way, the some of the advanced numbers are starting to come out from tonight. So the Celtics in the first half had a 159.1 offensive rating. And just to put that into context, the best team in the NBA had a 116.2 offensive rating this season. That was the Jazz. Celtics had a 159.1. <laughs> The defensive rating tonight for the season, the first half, 102.3. The Celtics led the NBA with a 106.2 defensive rating this season. So that's how good the Celtics were in the first half to a team that is the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. The Celtics just absolutely ran them off the floor. Um, As it pertains to the apology to Mutt and Lou, I mean, I really don't care. I'm not mad that those guys – I like the Al trade to begin with. I didn't even just think of it from, okay – you're getting rid of Kemba's contract, right? You needed to get rid of Kemba. Secondarily, by getting rid of Kemba, the biggest thing I took from that move was now it is officially just Tatum and Brown's team. It's their team definitively. Because even going into last year, it was still Tatum and Kemba. And it eventually became Jalen because Kemba was dealing with the knee issues and he couldn't play in back-to-back games. 
So I liked it from that perspective, and I did think that Al had something left in the tank, and I thank Sam Presti for putting him on ice. The guy only played in, what, 26 games last year, so he's been really spry. Now, he was a little bit gassed at the end of the Bucks series, but you can expect that after he started playing every other day and he's playing major minutes, right? So I like the Al trade to begin with, and I've always thought he was a really good offensive player because he moves the ball quickly. Not that he's somebody that's going to go out there and get you 25 points a night, but he's a really quick decision maker, and he can space the floor. So I always like the Al move as it pertains to Smart. I felt like Smart was an issue at times during his career. I don't know how nobody could look at that and say that. And the reason I can say that is this. If you're one of the people that says, oh, the Celtics should have never traded Smart, they should have never considered it, well, didn't it take until the team made a major move for Smart to be in the role that he's supposed to be in, which is the point guard? Smart was never the point guard of this team. It was Kyrie, it was Kemba, it was Terry Rozier to a lesser extent the year that Kyrie got hurt, and then it was Dennis Schroeder. So you could look at this and say, well, the Celtics never had Smart in the right role. So because Smart wasn't in the right role, it didn't look right. Anybody watching games, at times, you would have to acknowledge that it didn't look right with Smart. You go back to the bubble playoffs, Marcus Smart took 20 shots in an elimination game when Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kemba Walker were on the team. That was not his role. So he has embraced his role. So if people were criticizing, and I've criticized Smart in the past before, if people were criticizing Marcus Smart in the past before, we now have new information. Can't you acknowledge that they made a move to get rid of Schroeder to basically shore up the defense, but it also made Smart the point guard. And this is the best basketball that Marcus Smart has ever played. So all these people that are saying, well, I always knew they should never trade Smart. You're, you're just being disingenuous. You didn't think that Smart was a point guard. I don't remember people calling up shows and saying, well, you know what? You're an idiot, Mutt, or you're an idiot, whoever else was saying this, for wanting to trade Marcus Smart because Marcus Smart should be the point guard. I don't remember that ever happening. So I will defend Mutt's take on that in terms of, trading smart I mean if smart was going to be the guy that he was for the beginning of the season then he didn't fit but he got a new role after the move of Schroeder so I think we can all acknowledge both things are true 617-779-7937 the number but by the way I don't want to be mad tonight I'm happy this team is going to the finals I'm telling you this team is going to the finals let's get to John in a car what's up John Hey, what's up? You know, I think go. I just said that Schroeder thing got me thinking a little bit. I think when they traded Schroeder, I think that was more of a it, – it didn't really free up Marcus in his role so much as it, it gave him more support in the front office. And he may saying, yep, you're the point guard. Yep. Have fun. Like, go, go for it. You know, that to me, because the first half of the season, it was back up and – I truly think Brad was like, hey, Ime, here's a bunch of guards. Figure out which one is good with Marcus and uh, see if he can really you know, play the point. And they said, yeah, he can, and they got rid of everybody except for Peyton. Um, man, you know, this team's bounce-back ability, you know, beyond just the 4-0 in the playoffs and Tatum's ability to take over after losses, and the, the two, you know, outside of the two runs, like throughout the second half of the year and even the first half of the year, this team has never really had like long stretches of what is going on. You know, their yeah. ability to, to snap back and that it's this weird word, which is actually a word stick to that they have. It's like, okay, we're just going to get back to what we can, what we know, how, what Celtics back of basketball, you know, spread the floor and, you know, ball movement kind of stuff. And they turn it around the next night. And I think that's why you're right. I think this might be a short series. 
Yeah, and I, I just look at it like, John, Jimmy Butler is a really good player. He's not Giannis. He, he's not this indestructible force that's almost seven feet tall that is just basically like a running back running through linebackers after he gets a handoff and just mowing guys down. Like, that is a totally different – It's I'm not saying the games are similar, but it's like the closest guy we've had to Shaq from a physical dominant standpoint. And right. in this series – Jimmy Butler doesn't scare you in that way. I mean, he's a really good player. But would anybody call Jimmy Butler a top five player in the league? No. I mean, you could make an argument that he's not a top ten player in the league. So I just don't see the Miami Heat having enough firepower. The Bucs didn't have enough firepower. And they had a guy that at times was just getting to the rim whenever he wanted. Now, the Celtics did a really good job limiting him from an efficiency standpoint. But I just – my biggest thing about this series is I don't know how Miami generates enough offense. Uh and I think they're very similar to uh, Chicago, who we talked about in the past in terms of defensively. Like, they don't have enough wing defenders in a long series to truly defend Brown and Tatum. Like, in short stretches, maybe, but you're right. As this series goes longer, like, I, I don't know who's going to stop those two guys if they continue to play the way they have. Yeah, and, well, the Tucker thing is, like, okay, he's going to try to slow down Tatum like he did Durant last year. Durant still got his numbers, like, he worked hard for it. But Tucker, he's just not fast enough from a lateral standpoint to be able to stay with Tatum. It's just not going to work. It's not a good matchup for them whatsoever. If Butler wants to take on that matchup, well, the problem is this. Well, then he's going to be worn down on the other ends because they're just they are constantly using guys and they're yeah. picking mismatches. I just don't see how it's a sustainable thing for Butler to be able to will this Miami team to a victory. Yeah, it's just Celtics health down the, down the stretch here and continuing to do the things they're doing. Appreciate the call, John, as always, my friend. I just, I don't see this being a long series. I felt that way before the series. Now, I will tell you, and I, I said this the other night, I was a little bit concerned after game one from this aspect. I didn't know when Smart was going to come back. And it, remember, right after the game ended, we didn't know what was going on with the situation with Robert Williams either, because remember we found out, oh, it's actually a cramp, which I didn't know you can get a cramp in your knee. I've never had a cramp in my knee in my life. But nonetheless, they said that he had a cramp in his knee after the game. So there was that situation with Robert Williams. We didn't know. It appeared Al Horford may not play for the first three games of the series. In fact, until earlier today, we were being told that Al Horford was likely to miss at least the first two games of the series. Luckily, he gets two negative tests. I don't know what the hell happened with that Horford situation, quite frankly. Now, maybe it works out in the long run for the Celtics because he got rest and clearly he was tired at the end of the Bucks series. But I have no idea what happened with that. I know he got the two negative tests, but is the reason that he ended up having to test because he was asymptomatic because he's not boosted yet or he's not – is that what it is? Because we found out – that he did get vaccinated because of the whole Toronto situation. Remember, that was a storyline with this team. We found out that he did get vaccinated. He told the Boston Globe that a couple of months ago. So when you look at it from that perspective, it just feels like he wasn't having symptoms. So does that mean that just because he wasn't boosted, they needed to test him because he was a close contact? Because there shouldn't be a reason to test the guy. Did everybody else on the team test? I got to imagine it had to be something with the booster shot. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until 1 o'clock. We're going to hear from all the guys in terms of after this game. Let's hear from Marcus Smart right now. Probably could have helped us. very thankful. But at the same time, you know, it was good for us. You know, it was good for our team and our guys to play through some more adversity. Um, and that's not having two of your starters. You know, you got to find a way. And, uh, 
you know, we led three quarters and they had that one big quarter and, and that was a teaching moment for us. And then for me today it was just, you know, just come out, be as aggressive as you can and not let the same mistake happen. You know, we're playing against a really, 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 really good Miami team. And, you know, when you make mistakes, they make you pay for it. We gotta limit those mistakes. And that's my you know, that was my mindset. Come in, you know, get Jason Jalen the ball out, get them their shots open, and then, you know, take what the defense gives you. Hey Marcus, uh, tonight you defended Jimmy Buller for 31 possessions and held him to only nine points according to second spectrum tracking data. What what are the challenges in defending a guy like Butler and also what is your assessment of your individual player with that matchup tonight? It's tough. Jimmy's a warrior, man. You know, Jimmy's been doing this for a long time. He understands the game. Um, he understands, you know, his strengths. He understands his team strengths. So when you got a guy who has an IQ like Jimmy, it's always gonna be a tough matchup. It's a good one. You know, I love going up against Jimmy anytime I can. You know, as a defensive uh, player, as a competitor, he's going to make you work and he's going to make you better. So, um, you know, we knew it was tough for me. My, my son was just to make everything tough for him. You know, we knew he was going to hit some shots. If he did, he had to work for him. And uh, that's just where I came in. And, you know, it was a full team effort. It wasn't just me. You know, I had some help uh, from everybody. We all threw some guys at him and we all had a chance. And uh, that's what it comes down to, you know. Everybody's we all pros. We're all good. We're gonna make tough shots. We just want to make it as hard as possible. For Marcus, it's because of injuries and all that stuff. You guys haven't had the opportunity to have you and Rob and Al kind of at full strength have that defense that you've had from the regular season. How good did it feel to just be out there and know that you had those guys behind you and you had that 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 regular season number one defense kind of intact in, in this game? Oh, it felt amazing. You know. Uh, the beauty about this team is we, we we got to play through adversity early on in the season with the injuries and stuff like that, COVID. And uh, we got to see what we really made of. You know, we got to learn from it. So for us, it was always next man up. So, um, But it did feel good to have that unit out there that we know, you know, we're out there, what we can do. And, uh, and it showed tonight. In, uh, in game one, especially in that third quarter, there was just a ton of turnovers real fast where every time you guys tried to move the ball, it's like a little lax, they just pounce on it. And tonight, there were a lot of those moments where they almost turned you guys over, but you held strong, you dove and moved it. Like, what, what was that little extra edge that you tried to bring tonight? Um, just just the, what I always do, you know, being the energy guy that I am, you know, um, being the point guard that I am. You know, I take a lot of pressure off our guys um, so they don't have to try to force it as much. Um, so, they, you know, they could be who they are. And, and that always helps. And tonight, that was the main goal. You know, we can't let them out, out hustle us, um, beat us to loose balls, um, offensive rebounds when they killed us, and transition and turnovers. So we cut those down, and, uh, you know, our defense do what it does. So we just wanted to come in and be the harder playing team, and I, and I think we did that. I know you spent a long time trying to get the Defense Player of the Year award. You also spent a long time trying to be the point guard of this team. You know, to come back tonight after the turnovers you guys had the other night, of 12 assists and one turnover, um, something you guys down, like you said, during the game. How much pride do you take in, you know, your ability to kind of run the team the way you've always said you had the ability to? A lot of pride. That's what I've been doing my whole career. You know, that's what I got drafted here to do. And, uh, you know, I just waited my turn, you know. And uh, I'm blessed to be in the situation and to have the opportunity to go out and show what I can do. And, uh, you know, I think um, everybody – the organization in the world is seeing what I can do at that point of position. Hey, Mark, is it, I know you spoke on it just a second ago, but that third quarter uh, tonight after what happened a couple nights ago, you know, you 
put up a couple of goals there in that third quarter. You hit you know, a couple of threes. Um, what kind of locked in for you to make sure that you guys held that lead tonight? Just be who I am. You know, come out and be that leader. You know, stay on top of my guys. You know, it was a little bit tougher in game one to do it because you weren't out there. And uh, as a player, sometimes when you're on the court and the guys or who's not on the court trying to tell you, you just kind of really don't want to hear it. You're listening, but it's tough, you know, and it's a different type of energy and feel when, you know, when I'm out there on the court able to bark out the commands and really get into my guys and get them motivated. Because now it's like, okay, you know, if, I, if he's going to go out there and do it, I don't want to be the guy that's slacking, so I got to come with it. And, and that's the beauty of having me on the court um, to do that, to settle us down, um, to get us what we need to do, and uh, make plays for my teammates. How, how does Al Horford change the way that you guys defend? And what was the difference that he brought between game one and game two? His energy. I mean, Al is maybe 35. Three to six, and he's still moving like he's 22. Um, you know that's been an advantage for us. You know he's, he's, a, he's an athletic long guy who can get out and switch onto those smaller, quicker guards, and uh, it, it, it really you know keeps our defense compact. And it's not really a mismatch that uh, teams can really try to go after, especially with me and Al on the floor. And uh, that's big for us. Al has always been big for him. He's a great leader. He's a great vet, and uh, that's what we expect from Al. You, you take a lot of hits. Uh, on the court, and, and you're often on the court. Um, when did you learn that you could absorb all that? You know, what were the circumstances that led you to know you can be a tough player on the court? I mean, it was the four boys. My whole life, you gotta fight. You gotta be tough with it. You might as well keep it pushing. So my whole life is how I've been, you know, from Texas, where football is, um, you know, the prominent force, I played football. And, you know, you built that. You know, and like I said, being the youngest, you ain't got no choice but to be tough. And that's just how it was. All right, so that was Marcus Smart after the game. The big thing there, I heard Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer asking him about the matchup with Jimmy Butler. And he just smothered Jimmy Butler tonight. I mean, that's the biggest difference. And Shaq and Charles Barkley were talking about this last night on NBA on TNT after that game where the Warriors played the Mavericks and... Merloni, Fourier, and Mega were playing a little bit of that sound today where essentially Charles Barkley is saying, well, it's going to be a difference in game two because the defensive player of the year is going to be covering Jimmy Butler. And Shaq said, oh, it makes no difference. He's comparing him going up against Dikembe Mutombo in the 76ers finals in 2001. It's a totally different thing. I mean, Shaq's one of the most dominating forces in the history of the NBA. Jimmy Butler's a really good player. He ain't Shaq. And when you have a guy like Marcus Smart that's now part of the equation – and there's less places for Jimmy Butler to attack. I'm sorry, I just don't see Jimmy Butler having the, I don't want to say having the ability, but I have no expectation that he's going to be the best player in this series. He's just not nearly as good and as skilled as Jason Tatum. He's a really good player. He's not on Jason Tatum's level from a skill perspective. And here's the other thing. The Celtics defense is geared up to stop that guy. They did it with Giannis, and Giannis still got his. I have a very difficult time saying that Jimmy Butler is going to be very productive in the series and efficient like he was in game one, where he had the 41 points tonight. He had 29 points, but it took him 23 shooting possessions. That's not efficient whatsoever. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until 1 o'clock, recapping this game two win for the Celtics as it's now all even at one. You'll hear from the coach Ime Adoka in just a little bit here as we take you all the way up until one. So on the table tonight, do you agree with me 
that this series is pretty much over. I don't see the Heat having the ability to come back and compete with the Celtics. I believe this series is over. So that's on the table. Plus, I do think there's one tweak that Ime Adoka can make to make life easier for this team for the rest of the series. I'll tell you what that is in just a little bit here on EEI. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now back to it. WEEI Late Night and streaming everywhere on the Odyssey app. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 uh, Miami. All right, welcome back, and we are with you all the way up until 1 o'clock tonight. Thanks to the boss man, Ken Laird, for giving us an extension tonight. I'm fired up. We get to go all the way until 1 o'clock after a huge win for the Celtics, 127-102 over the Miami Heat. You'll hear from the head coach, Ime Adoka, in just a little bit here. But my overwhelming reaction from the two games that we've seen in Miami, the Celtics are going to win this season, uh, this series rather, and they're going to do it relatively convincingly. This is not the Bucs. They don't have enough firepower offensively to stick with the Celtics. I just don't see them making this a very competitive series. The one thing I'll say with the Heat is clearly we saw tonight that when this team doesn't force turnovers, they're in major trouble. You look back to game one, and we also had to have the situation that we watched in the third quarter for the Heat to pull that one off, where it's 39-14. to 14. I'm not just trying to discredit everything Miami did in that third quarter, but I truly believe that was more about the Celtics than it was about Miami. But just think about it in this context. Game one of the series... The Celtics, 17 points off turnovers. The Heat, 19. You look at it tonight, the Celtics had 20 points off turnovers. The Heat had nine. If the Heat are not turning the Celtics over, they don't have enough good offensive players to generate good shots. You look at the Heat in the postseason. They are averaging 18.8 points per game off of turnovers. So if they're not getting those 18.8 points per game off of turnovers, and today they're more than, what, they're almost 10 points below their average in terms of where they're at in the postseason because they got nine tonight. They can't live without those 10 points. They're just not good enough in the half court to be able to generate easy opportunities. Think about what happened in that third quarter the other night. It was all about Jimmy Butler getting to the free throw line. All night, the guy was just getting back to the free throw line. That's how they won that game. The Celtics were not disciplined defensively, and I truly believe if Marcus Smart plays in that game, 
that doesn't happen. But you go back to that third quarter. Jimmy Butler took 10 free throws. That was their offense. It wasn't like they were doing anything outstanding. Now, defensively, they did a lot. They blocked five shots. I give them credit when it comes to that end. But offensively, they weren't doing anything that was out of the ordinary. It was just Jimmy Butler was getting guys to bite on his pump fake, and he was jumping into them, and he was getting to the free throw line. It wasn't any great offense they were running. It wasn't like, oh, these guys can't stay in front of Jimmy Butler. In fact, it wasn't even like he was blowing by Peyton Pritchard. Obviously, Pritchard is a liability out there because of his size. But it wasn't like, oh, this guy got red hot. He was hitting a million threes. No, he didn't even hit a three in that half or in that quarter. Rather, he's trying to get downhill. He was trying to get to the basket. And a lot of times the Celtics would cut him off. He would jump stop. He would pump fake, get the guy in the air and jump into him. That's not sustainable offense. The Celtics are going to be more game plan discipline like we saw tonight. They did a much better job defending Jimmy Butler. They did a much better job now that Marcus Smart was in the lineup at not jumping at all of his pump fakes. And even when he does jump on a pump fake like Smart will do occasionally, he has the ability to side contest, contest from the side, so he still isn't fouling Jimmy Butler. And if you look at it, how else are they going to generate easy shots? Tyler Hero off the bench, okay, he can do it sometimes, but that's their second-best guy in terms of shot creation. The Celtics have a bunch of guys that can get shots. They have one guy in their lineup that you can truly say, okay, that guy can get a good shot when he wants to. Think about it tonight. Jimmy Butler took eight free throws. Eight. That's it. He took ten free throws in the third quarter alone in that game the other night in that game one. Then you look at the fact that if you take the totality of the game, he took 18 free throws. This is how the Heat are going to win if they win games. Points off turnovers, 18.8 a game in the postseason, and Jimmy Butler getting to the free throw line. 18 in game one, he took eight in this game, and the Heat only scored nine points off the Celtics' turnovers. They can't beat the Celtics straight up. They can't. They need Jimmy Butler to be crafty, draw fouls, and they need to force you into mistakes. If the Celtics play clean and they do a good enough job limiting Jimmy Butler at the free throw line, the Heat can't beat the Celtics. Bottom line, it isn't going to happen. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until 1 a.m. So if you do want to weigh in on this, do you agree with me that this series is pretty much over? I don't see the Heat coming back and make the, making this a challenging series. I think the Celtics are significantly, I don't think, I know the Celtics are significantly better than the Heat. And knock on wood, there's some kind of crazy injury. Other than that, I don't see Miami competing with the Celtics much more in this series. Game one, that third quarter, complete outlier. It's not going to happen again in this series. I can't imagine Miami makes this awfully difficult on the Celtics. 617-779-7937, the number. You'll hear from the head coach, Ime Adoka, in just a little bit here. Plus, we'll also get into one thing I believe the Celtics could tweak in this series that would help them out. I'll tell you what that is in just a little bit here on EEI. This is WEEI Late Night with Brian Barrett on WEEI. All right, welcome back in. We're with you all the way up until 1 o'clock tonight after a dominating performance from your Celtics tonight as they just throttled the Heat in this one. A 25-point win. It was pretty much over at halftime. The Heat came out with a little bit of energy in the third quarter, but you knew it wasn't going to be the same thing that we saw in game one of this series. There's no chance that we're going to win this game. Some interesting stuff coming out of this as well. <laughs> How about this? So this is via StatMuse. I don't know. If, if you don't follow StatMuse on Twitter, you should. It's a pretty good Twitter account. But So they tweet this out. StatMuse does. Highest playoff plus minus off the bench in the play-by-play era. Thanks to Justin Turpin for finding this. 
Plus 42, Shane Battier in 2013. Plus 41 for Peyton Pritchard tonight. Unbelievable. <laughs> Peyton Pritchard, who I was worried about coming into the game from a defensive perspective. He is a plus 41 in this game. Absolutely incredible. And I just look at this as, even with Pritchard out there, because Tice didn't play, it makes it more difficult for the Heat to attack Pritchard. If you have two guys you're concerned about defensively, okay, then you're in trouble like we saw in game one, where when those two guys were on the court together, they had a 127 defensive rating. The worst defense in the league this year was at a little over 113. So you're talking about way beyond the worst defense in the NBA when Pritchard and Tice were on the court together. With Pritchard out there by himself without Tice, you can hide him, you can scram him from matchups. It's much easier to overcome one liability defensively. Ideally, you would like none, like the Celtics ordinarily have, but it's much easier to do it when you just have one guy out there. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Andrew. He's in Rhode Island tonight. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Uh, First-time caller. So, personally, as a Heat fan living in Rhode Island, I'm listening to your points about the Miami Heat. And when you're looking at Jimmy Butler, and we're saying in comparison to the the first game to the second game, you're saying, oh, he took this many free throws tonight as opposed to the first game. When you take his 10 free throws in the third quarter from a 39 to 14 point differential perspective, sure, like it doesn't mean much, however, the Heat are the overall better team. However, when you look at the Celtics... No, hold on, Celtics, Andrew. Andrew, you're missing my point. My point is if they keep Jimmy Butler off the free throw line, the Heat can't win. If Jimmy Butler takes eight free throws, the Heat are not beating the Celtics. They need to junk it up. They need to muck it up. They can't beat the Celtics with just a normal offense. They're not good enough offensively to do that to this defense. Agreed. And that's where, the, in the sense of the Heat being a better team is overpowered by the sense of the Celtics having the overall team perspective, but that star power from Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and even Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year, overpowering the rest of them. Yeah. But when we're saying, like, Jimmy Butler only got the free throw this the free throw line this many times as opposed to the game one, I think it comes down to the Celtics beating themselves to a, to a degree. Yeah, I believe that, too. I believe they beat themselves. They jumped on his pump fakes, and they did a much better job with him tonight. And a lot of that had to do with Marcus Smart covering him on 31 possessions, and he only scored nine points. I mean, that's a major factor in the game is that they had the def- – you mentioned the defensive player of the year. Smart's back. He spends more possessions on Jimmy Butler than anybody else on the Celtics, and you see what the results are, not to mention – He's a much more intelligent defender than some of the other guys that were getting thrown at him, and he's not going to pump on those, or he's not going to bite on the pump fakes. And even if he does, he'll contest from the side, and he's not going to pick up a foul there. So he just does a much better job defensively. It's a total game changer getting him back in this series. I think he's more important defensively, Andrew, in this series, smart is, than he was in the last one because if you look at the Bucks, they didn't really have a great guard or swingman that you were worried about scoring. It was Giannis more of a big, right? That was a Horford-Grant-Williams matchup. If Middleton was in that series, sure, that would be Smart's guy that he needs to cover. But in this series, it is imperative to have Smart on the floor because of Butler. 100%. And I think when you're looking at the Heath lineup versus the Bucks lineup, everything through the Bucks runs through Giannis. Yep. Giannis is going to drop the paint and kick out. When you look at the Heat, you're looking at an overall more competent, more overall holistic offense. And I think when you look at the Heat, you're looking at them now, games one and two, 
you add Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry can be a difference maker. However, yeah, I don't think so, Andrew. Based on what he's looked like this postseason, I don't see that being the case. I mean, he doesn't look right. I mean, you would acknowledge that. Absolutely. But I, like I said, you're looking at a Heat team. You add Kyle Lowry back, but it's also a Celtics team. You're looking at the Celtics team from game one to game two. You add Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year, and Al Horford, a guy who has been a consistent veteran his entire career. So I think, like, when you're looking at the Heat team as an overall team, might be better than the Celtics. But the Celtics, when you put star power against the entire team, the Celtics are going to over, overcome it. And I think you're going to look at a Celtics team that's going to take this Heat team down, sadly. As a Heat fan, I hate to say. All right, Andrew, I appreciate the call, man. Yeah. I don't see the Heat as a better overall team. You can give me the record in terms of the Heat had the better record during the regular season. The Celtics had the better net rating. They had a better point differential than the Heat, so they actually played at a higher level. The Celtics really, I mean, the reason they're the two-seed and not the one-seed is just because they had so many of those close losses during the regular season, which obviously that was not an issue in the Bucs series. But I disagree on the notion that the Heat have the better team. The Celtics are more talented, and they're the deeper team. I mean, you saw what Eric Spolstra had to do tonight. He had to dust off... Dust, uh, Duncan Robinson, who hasn't played in a long time in terms of meaningful minutes, just to try to generate some offense, and that didn't work for them either. Tyler Hero is their second-best guy at generating offense outside of Jimmy Butler. Uh, you can't play through Bam. He's a big that's not going to like beat you off the dribble. He can beat a normal big off the dribble, but you're not scared of Bam offensively. When you look at a guy like Tyler Hero tonight, he's 5 of 11. 11. He has 11 points. He's a negative 33. So if that guy's not having outstanding games and he was really good in game one, it's another reason that he can't beat the Celtics. Let's get to Lee in New York. What's up, Lee? Uh, Brian, I agree with you. I would think that health is the only thing that could stop the Celtics from beating the Heat. Yeah, it's over. Uh, the thing is, it was such a it was such a great case study in in the intangibles of Marcus Smart. Because, you know, you still had about half a dozen times during the game where there was a terrible uh, Jalen Brown handle or Tatum was a little, he kind of disappeared a little bit. And then Smart... I disagree with that. I, I I didn't see the moment in this game where Tatum disappeared. He was phenomenal tonight. I, you know, I, I sometimes he just gets into launch mode for a little bit, and and that's when they started to cut in the lead for a bit, and then all of a sudden Marcus Smart will speed things up, take it in, either get to the line or or, or make the good pass. He he just uh, without without him, the team can regress to October Celtics. They can. I don't see that happening. You really think they're going to turn into the October? It happened for one quarter in the series. They fell apart for one quarter against the Bucks. You're really worried about them falling into that version of themselves again. I think we're past that. I think they've shown flashes of it at times in the playoffs. I mean, they do take the foot off the pedal. I mean, I guess that's like any NBA team, but I see, just when feel, you say Lee, when you, you know, say when you hold on, when you say like the pre-January Celtics, if you will, I think of a team that is a 500 team that can lose three games in a row. This team has not lost back-to-back games in the postseason. I don't see that. They may have bad quarters. I mean, it happens to every great team. Not every team is phenomenal every quarter. So they could stub their own toe. They could have a bad quarter. But it's not going to happen for multiple games in a row. It hasn't happened once this postseason. So I don't see that being the case. Uh, See, I I disagree. I think it can happen enough for them to lose because they they will A series or a game? Hold on. A series or a game? A series against Golden State, not against Miami. Okay. <laughs> but you think they're going to play like three bad games in a row, Lee? 
just uh, listen. As bad as the venting was on Monday night, and as upset we were, we can't overblow tonight's either. I mean, they came back and they responded well. But the Heat are there for a reason. I agree that we're a more talented team. But our two superstars are still young guys. And I just feel like sometimes, I mean, Jalen Brown fell down three, four times tonight. Yeah, I don't know what was going on. Lee, Lee, I don't know what was going on with that. I appreciate the call, my friend. I don't know what was going on with that. I don't know if the floor was slippery, but multiple guys were falling down. It wasn't just Jalen. If your point is Jalen's handle has been loose, I would agree with that. I don't know what's going on with him in terms of his handle. Let's get to, oh boy, David in Florida. David, what's up, man? Hey, Brian. Good evening. Well, good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. You know, I mean, first of all, uh, I think the Red Sox should quickly trade everybody but Story and just rebuild around him. What do you think about that? That's an idiotic take. Was, it's worse than, you know, yeah, Rafael uh, never no. has the most hits in baseball, right? Uh, just kidding. Now, about the Celtics, though, I mean, yes. The defense was, and there's no doubt, like you said, I agree that um, they could very easily and arguably should be up two games to zip right now. Yep. But at the same time, it's unfair to expect them and unreasonable to expect them to continue to shoot 50% every game. Who's expecting that? I'm just saying whoever does. No, name the the person. I want to hear who this person is. People in the media have been saying Who said it, that? that Who said, to... David, they're going to shoot 50% the rest of the series? That's a straw man argument. Nobody said that. No, that's Mud not here. what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and they, I mean, they don't rebound. That's what's concerning me because they, they need to get second. I, I think their defense is going to keep them in the series and give them a good chance to win every game. But the thing that concerns me is the lack of rebounding. And when, they, when they're not shooting – very well, they don't get rebounds. They don't get second and third chance opportunities. Well, you're talking about offensive rebounding. Yes, yes. Oh, I mean, they've never yes. been a great I, offensive rebounding team to begin no. with. Yes, and and but they've been able to compensate for that because they've been shooting so spectacularly. But when they when 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 they're not shooting well, and that's why they lose close games because they don't get second and third chance opportunities offensively. David, and now, I'm going to tell you something, well, though, okay? So just hear me out for a second. Yeah. Here are the best offensive rebounding teams in the NBA this season. You tell me what they have in common. Memphis Grizzlies, Toronto Raptors, Indiana Pacers, New Orleans Pelicans, Utah Jazz, New York Knicks, Minnesota Timberwolves, San Antonio Spurs, Brooklyn Nets. Those are the top nine. What do they have in common? They're all on the golf courses right now. Yeah, it's not that like, important. I don't, uh, maybe it's not. Maybe you're right. Then I don't know. Maybe it's a changing game. I mean, the uh, Heat, you know, the heat just, and the Celtics. They're tenth and eleventh in the NBA this year in offensive rebounding. It's about the same. Maybe so. Uh, I mean, I just. Uh, all right. I mean, maybe that's the case. Then I guess the case. I don't want to say why do they need sorry. to. Ge- why do they need to generate the biggest thing, David? And I, I, I appreciate the call as always, my friend. His lines open at six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. If you look at this Heat team on the season, one of the real ways they generate offense is in transition. That's one of the big things with them in terms of how they've been able to score at an efficient level is they get out and they run in transition. And if you look at the Heat on the season, they've been really good when it comes off points, off turnovers. As we told you earlier in the postseason, they're in a position right now where they are averaging almost 19 points per game in transition. Or, excuse me, after turnovers. And then you look during the regular season, 
they were in the top 10 in transition points per game at 50 or in the playoffs they're at 15.3 in terms of transition points per game. So the Heat are not a good half-court offensive team. So I would not want the Celtics, outside of Robert Williams around the rim, I don't want them trying to get more possessions by offensive rebounding because if you don't get that, you let the Heat get out in transition, and that's how they need to score. It's Butler at the foul line. It's getting out and running. And if you try to go after your misses too often, you're going to get burnt when it comes to that. So the Celtics not trying to crash the boards, I think, is the smart and the logical play in the series. 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until 1 o'clock. Oh, we will get to the coach in just a couple of minutes here as he talked to the media after the game. Plus, I do want to get into the one suggestion I have that I believe will help the Celtics win this series even more convincingly. I'll tell you what that is in just a little bit here on EEI. The Greg Hill Show, weekdays 6 to 10. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending now is brought to you by Nissan. Nissan's an easier choice than ever. With our exciting and fuel-efficient lineup now, get great offers across our full line. Shop at your local Nissan store and NissanUSA.com. All right, trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Big win for the Celtics tonight as they took out the Heat 127-102. to It was a laugher. It was pretty much over at halftime. Jason Tatum, big night, 27 points. He dishes out five assists. Steele as well, 7 of 7 from the free throw line, 4 of 6 from three-point territory. Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, each with 24. Smart, of course, missed game one with that foot sprain. He had 12 assists in this game, 9 rebounds as well. For the Heat, Jimmy Butler, 29 points, but he did it on 11 of 18 shooting and 6 of 8 from the free throw line. And Tyler Hero was atrocious in this game. A game worst, negative 33, 11 points. He was 5 of 11 and 0 of 3 from three-point territory. If they don't get that guy going, they're in major trouble. Derek White missed this game due to the birth of his child. He is expected to play on Saturday. In game three, as they'll head back to the Garden, all even at a game apiece. Meanwhile, some news with the Red Sox. Ryan Brazier was on the mound tonight where he gave up, shockingly, another home run. He has been optioned down to AAA to make room for Michael Walker, who's activated. He starts in game two of the Red Sox-Mariners series tomorrow night. Meanwhile, tonight, the Sox with a huge win, 12-6 over the Mariners. And the story was Trevor's story. I didn't even mean to do that. I'm embarrassed now. Story with three home runs. Unreal night for him. He had two coming into tonight. He has three tonight. Meanwhile, Rafael Devers, one for five. He continues to say hot. J.D. Martinez, four for five. Rich Hill was not good in this game at all. His worst start of the season by far. Two innings, he gives up four earned. He gave up a home run as well. But the good news is major development, Tanner Houck looked good. Tanner Houck, four innings, did not give up an earned run. Six strikeouts. His slider looked like the slider that we saw last season. So that's the good news for the Red Sox. And as we mentioned, game two of the series is Friday night, 7-10 first pitch across the Shaws and Star Market, WEI Red Sox Network, 6-10 pregame with Mutt. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. WEEI. This is WEEI Late Night, streaming everywhere on the Odyssey app. All right, welcome back in. We are with you until 1 o'clock. Coming up, I'm going to give my suggestion for what I think Ime Doka and the Celtics have to do to make life even more easier on them. I believe they're going to win the series no matter what, but there's one tweak I think they can make to the lineup. I'll get into that in just a little bit. The number is 617-779-7937, the number. So 
Do you agree with me that this series is pretty much over? I don't see how the Heat beat the Celtics three more times. I just can't see it happening. Now, like I said, knock on wood, barring any sort of injury, I just don't believe that team has enough firepower to go up and score consistently enough against this offense. They have a pretty good defense. They're not going to slow down the Celtics for the entirety of this series either. They really need this game to be a low-scoring series or this series to be low-scoring, and I just don't see them being able to hold the Celtics down and generate easy shots. It's just not going to happen. But before we go any further, let's hear from the head coach, Ime Adoka, after this one. Ime, you said you'd, um, you said coming into the series that you'd be ready for the zone. Felt like you guys jumped right on it when the Heat went to it. You had the sets ready to go. Like, what do you think just led to so much success against that? Was the preparation and video you watched there? Yeah, well, we knew they're a team that runs quite a bit of zone. Um, didn't get to it in the first game. Uh, not surprised, but they upped their physicality and didn't need to get to it tonight. They tried it, and we've had some some good sets and success against it later in the season, being that we saw it quite a bit early in the season. So well, we're ready for that. Ime, how, um, how did you like your team's response tonight, and how good was it to have uh, Marcus and Al back in the lineup with you? Yeah, it was great to have the vets back, obviously, uh, calming presence there. Um, didn't get off to our best start, a little slow to start, but uh, fought right back into it. And after, I guess, the first five or six minutes, we held them down scoring-wise. Um, but overall, it was good, good overall effort. Bounced back. I, I felt we didn't play as poorly as last game showed. You know, was, we went, like I said, we won three quarters and had a very bad uh, third quarter that was hard to overcome. But we saw a lot of positives and areas we could attack. And so uh, it helped to have those two back for sure. Um, Ime, tonight you guys, according to Second Spectrum tracking data, switched on 33 pick and rolls, allowed only 15 points, caused two turnovers. Obviously, Al Horford and Marcus Smart returning makes a significant difference in your ability to switch. I guess what's your reaction to hearing those type of numbers um, going into the game plan that you had with the willingness to switch? Yeah, it's what we've done all year to some extent. One of the better switching teams that we switched a lot, and uh, having certain defenders back obviously helped that, aided that tonight. But um, you know, we saw Hero get downhill a little bit too much. Butler as well last game and wanted to have bodies in front of bodies. And what we showed him at halftime is good physicality, uh, good pickup points, and good attention to detail on certain guys. Uh, aggressive reds, aggressive switches, and, you know, they pretty much saw a body every time they came off and didn't get a lot of clean shots. So we're happy with what we did tonight. Ime, why do you think your team is so good coming off of losses? I think we were upset with how that third quarter went and specifically how we got out toughed. Um, wasn't a lot of, like I said, a lot of schemes or defensive or offensive changes. They just came out and kind of punked us in that third quarter. And so uh, we looked at the three quarters and how well we had done, you know, winning those quarters and knew if we just matched our physicality, we could be better. And so uh, kind of reminded us of Milwaukee the first game a little bit and didn't want to get caught off guard again, but shouldn't take one of those and, you know, opportunity that we had but I think our guys have bounced back really well all year, um, especially in the second half of the year. Haven't lost a lot of you know, two games in a row in a while, and um, I think obviously adding Marcus and, and Al back gave us a little boost as far as that, but guys have pride and um, looked at a golden opportunity that we kind of lost and thought we could do much better and did that tonight. Game really turned around, Ime, in the first quarter when you went to Grant and that four-out lineup kept him in the rest of the first half. What did you see working there, and why was it able to be so successful in the course of the, the rest of the game. Yeah, he spaced the floor well. Um, you know, we had got to attack some um, 
matchups that we wanted to and, and space out Adebayo and Tucker and some of those guys. And so obviously with Rob in there, he has uh, his his things that he does well, but he has some limitations as well as far as space in the court. And, you know, we saw success against Milwaukee and Brooklyn doing that with the uh, Al and, and Grant lineups where they can space it out and we can attack multiple ways. And so, you know, create a lot of open shots, a lot of open threes, and he got going, but also opened up the lanes for our drivers. I feel like it's been a while since we've heard you say that you guys got punked. Because we heard that a lot earlier in the first half of the season. What did you say to the team after? Like, how did you challenge them? You know, Grant was saying before that you, you weren't afraid to challenge them. So how did how did that work tonight? Yeah, it was, it was evident. I mean, after the game one, that, that third quarter, 39 to 14, you know, eight of our 16 turnovers, them getting a lot of offensive rebounds, and Butler getting to the free throw line. It was pretty evident that they were the more physical, aggressive team. And, um we said this, look at the three quarters and t be optimistic by what we did there. But if a team is just going to come out and out hustle you, it wasn't a lot of, like I said, a lot of things schematically that they did different. We can match that intensity. We pride ourselves on being one of the tougher teams. And so we knew if we matched that, we'd be in good shape tonight. So not, not much needed to be said. Everybody saw it. Uh, Marcus Martin almost had a triple-double tonight. But even beyond the box score, how can you describe what he gave you guys? Yeah, as always, he sets the tone. Um, you know, defensive player of the year for a reason. Uh, ability to switch and switch on to bigger bodies and just another good defender to throw at um, Butler and Adebayo and some of those guys and not have to worry about you know, trying to pick on certain matchups. And so he brings the physicality every night, uh, kind of gets everybody else in line and adding Al back there as well as another versatile guy. So um, wasn't surprising to see how well we guarded with our guys back. All right, that was the head coach, Ime Adoka, after the game. If you want to react to anything he said, you certainly can. The number 617-779-7937, the number. Also, are you with me that you're very confident that this thing is going to be a relatively quick series and the Celtics will not be in jeopardy? By the way, they're showing the highlights right now. How about Marcus Smart just dropping Max Struess? I mean, utterly embarrassing for Max Struess. Smart just absolutely shook the guy. Smart was tremendous tonight. And I do think a couple of things stuck out to me about what Ime Adoka said. He was asked about the switching defense and the numbers on that from second uh, spectrum. The Heat ran 33 pick and rolls. The Celtics switched them. They scored 15 points on the pick and rolls, and they had two turnovers. So basically, when they went into their pick and roll game, because Smart was back and because Al Horford was back, they just completely mucked that up. They switched everything. And the Heat were getting easy opportunities in game one because of the, the presence of a guy like Daniel Tice. And tonight, that just didn't happen. Now, the other thing that I really felt intriguing about, or the other thing I was intrigued about, was what he was talking about with Robert Williams and Grant Williams. So this is where, if I'm Ime Adoka, and maybe you don't touch it just because of the fact that you won game two and everybody understands the role and all that, but I would tweak the starting lineup. I would not start Robert Williams. There's no reasons, reason rather, for the Celtics to start two traditional bigs. All they need is one for Bam, and that's pretty much it. Al's going to get the Bam matchup anyway, so there's really no reason for Robert Williams to start in this game because the two-big lineup, or in this series, I should say, the two-big lineup really doesn't work for this team offensively. You got away with it during the regular season, I get all that, but during the postseason, it's just not a good way to run your offense. If you look at the numbers, so... When Al and Robert Williams are on the court together in the postseason, the Celtics have a 97.8 offensive rating. And just to put that into context, this season, the worst offense in the NBA was the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
They had a 103.8 offensive rating. As we mentioned, the Celtics, with Robert Williams and Al Horford on the court this postseason, have just a 97.8 offensive rating. So they're basically six points per 100 possessions worse than the 30th-ranked offense, the Oklahoma City Thunder, this season. So what I would do is when Al gets his rest, that's when you play Robert Williams. You don't play those two guys together. Because if you look at Al with Grant Williams, when those two guys are on the court together, and you just heard the head coach, Ime Adoka, talking about this, when those two guys are on the court together, like we saw a lot in the Bucks series, it opens up the offense. It's that five-out lineup, so to speak, that this team can really flourish in. So if you look at those numbers, with Al and Grant on the court together, the Celtics have a 118.03 offensive rating this postseason, which is basically better than the league's best offense. 116.2, the Utah Jazz this season led the league. The Celtics with Grant and with Robert or with Grant Williams and with Al Horford on the court are better than the league's best offense. The Celtics offense in the postseason with Al Horford and Robert Williams on the court together is worst worse rather than the 30th ranked offense in the NBA. So it feels like to me it's a really relatively easy decision to make, not to mention the three-point shooting with that group with Al and Grant Williams, it's 39.3%. When you look at the group when it's Al Horford and Robert Williams on the court together, the Celtics have just a 34% three-point percentage. So you're getting better shots with Grant Williams on the court. The floor is more spaced out, and it gives more opportunities for guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to get downhill because the paint cannot be clogged when Grant's hanging out in the corner rather than Robert Williams being in the dunker spot, which it just makes life a whole lot easier for this team offensively. I still believe they win the series no matter what they do with the offensive lineup, with the starting five, if you will. But my overwhelming point is I just think you make life easier on yourself if you put Grant into the starting lineup and you have Robert Williams come off the bench. And quite frankly, I think that may help Robert Williams because you saw at times he's still getting his conditioning back, and at times he's still a gassed in this series. And look, he still has his presence. We saw it. I mean, the guy had three blocks tonight. He had that devastating block on P.J. Tucker where P.J. Tucker really doesn't have lift. And Robert Williams just blocked it right back into his face pretty much. And Jimmy Butler did end up picking that up. But you get the overwhelming point. You still need the presence of Robert Williams at times in this series. I just feel like Grant's the more important player for what this team is trying to do from an offensive perspective. But just to get back to the positive thing with this, the biggest story that comes out of this game to me is every time we've seen the Celtics team challenged throughout the postseason, they find a way to respond. And it usually happens that the best player is the guy that responds. And that's what we've seen from Jason Tatum. Pretty much after every loss this team has suffered throughout the postseason, Tatum has bounced back with a massive game. And just the totality of the numbers on that, if you look at what Tatum's been able to do after the Celtics drop playoff games, it's pretty remarkable. Jason Tatum... Tonight ends up with the 27. He could have had more if it was actually a relatively close game, but part of the reason it wasn't a close game was because of Jason Tatum. But look at the numbers. After a loss this postseason for Tatum, he's averaging 33 points per game. He's 46 of 89 from the field. That's 51.7%. And he's hit 19 of his 41 threes. That comes up to 46.3%. So Tatum has been absolutely fantastic when this team has been pushed to the brink. 
And that sort of comes back to this whole idea of you have a guy that can be the best player on a team that can win a championship because he is basically taking on the leadership role. And I know he doesn't do it in the traditional sense in terms of he's the guy yelling at everybody and all that type of stuff. He's not the rah-rah type leader like we see with a guy like LeBron. He's not that type of leader. But what we see from Jason Tatum is when this team needs their best player to perform in a massive way in a difficult game, Jason Tatum has proven that he's going to step up and he's going to make sure his team doesn't lose. I mean, the biggest performance so far of this postseason is the game that Jason Tatum, of course, had against the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 6 when he went for 46 points and 16 of those points came in the fourth quarter of the game. That's the biggest performance that anybody has had for the Celtics team throughout the postseason. I know that Al had that outstanding game in what was it, game four, but Tatum had to close that one out as well. So when your best player responds after difficult losses, like that loss the other night was horrible. They were outscored 39-14 to in the third quarter. They just completely lost their way. And Jason Tatum was not bad in that or was not good in that third quarter either. He was the main part of the problem where he turned the basketball over six times. Six times he turned the ball over in that in that quarter. And he has the ability to just turn the page so quickly and respond in a major way like we saw tonight. It's just a massive positive for this team, and it's an unbelievable quality for your best player to have. And I just have the faith that Jason Tatum, when this team loses games, he will respond. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until 1 a.m. So if you do want to weigh in on this game, you certainly can. What did you make out of the performance from this team after a difficult loss? Are you with me in the sense that it feels like right now that this is going to be a relatively quick series? I just look at that Bucks team, and they scared me a lot more than the Heat do because they had Giannis. In that series, the Bucs were definitively going to have the best player. As great as Tatum is, you had Giannis, who's a two-time MVP. You had Giannis that just won the finals MVP a season ago. I just didn't feel like Jason Tatum could come out of that series as the best player. Now, I would argue he outplayed Giannis in Game 6 and Game 7. But in totality, Giannis was the best player in that series. It was just the Celtics had the better team. I look at this series, and Jason Tatum's the best player in the series. And the Celtics have the better overall team. I just look at this Miami Heat team, and I just feel like they're really going to be struggling throughout this series to find good enough offense. And on the season, they were okay offensively. They were the 12th-ranked offense. But a lot of that comes in transition. They get a lot of their opportunities in transition. And as we saw with Jimmy Butler, they get a lot of their opportunities at the free throw line. The two biggest things to me in this series are this. Keep Butler off the line. And Butler tonight only took eight free throws compared to 18 in game one. And he took 10 of those in the third quarter. And the other thing is don't let the Heat get out and run. You look at points off turnovers. Game one, they had 19. Tonight, they had nine. In the postseason, they're averaging 18.8 points per game off of turnovers. They need Butler to get to the free throw line. And they need the, them. They need to turn you over and get out and run and score off your turnovers. And I just don't see that formula happening four times quite frankly I don't see it happening three times yeah you could convince me that this series is going to go six because Miami already took game one and they're going to go back home for game five but you can't convince me that this game's this series is going seven I don't see the heat beating the Celtics two more times I don't 
617-779-7937, the number, with you up until 1 a.m. So if you want to weigh in on this, you certainly can. Do you agree with me that the Celtics are going to win this one in relatively easy fashion? Plus, I do want to get into one other guy that had a big performance tonight, and I don't think he's getting nearly enough credit. I'll get to that next here on EEI. WEEI Late Night. On Boston Sports Original. WEEI. All right, and we are with you until 1 a.m. After a nice night. Fun night. How, how different is this than Tuesday? Justin Turpin is producing. Tuesday, we had Avaldi got absolutely shelled. He gave up five home runs in one inning. That was horrific. That was difficult to watch. He gave up six in the game. And we had the Celtics with the 39-14 to 14 third quarter. They were outscored by Miami. Tonight, we have the Celtics stomping, curb stomping the Miami Heat. And Trevor Story hitting three home runs. And Tanner Houck is Tanner Houck again. So what a night. Isn't this what we were all expecting? Yes. Well, maybe not three home runs a night, yes, but story. this is three what we were runs. expecting. Hell yeah, man. This is a fun night. A lot different than Tuesday. 617-779-7937 the number. Let's get to Alex. He's in Connecticut. Alex, what's <laughs> up, man? Brian, a lot different. Uh, much, much uh, happier, happier tonight. The... um. Would ha- I was so happy with the Sox with how to see that I think he's back because yeah. that was like a blessing. So in a way, I'm glad to see that the Hill was out after a couple innings because I saw the four innings with Hauk and I was real happy to see that. Trevor Story, look, I'm happy to say that I'm wrong, that I'm riding the guy, that the guy, you know, I, I didn't think he's going you know, if, if he can, not because he hit the three home runs, which was great, but because it seems like in the last two weeks, he's able to bring his average up from under 200 to 230. So if, if he's going to be a 260 hitter and uh, he's going to, you know, if he's going to have those numbers that he had in Colorado and Boston, okay. But he's not better than Xander. Still got to sign Xander. And I agree with you on Devis, that. No I agree what. with you. I think the biggest, we, we, look, Alex, I think the two biggest things you take out of the Red Sox game tonight, A, the story home runs, that's obviously massive. But the biggest thing to me is I felt like eventually story would get going. I don't think he's going to be, like this incredible guy that he was a season ago in Colorado. But I think he's going to be a really good player for this team for years to come. But the bigger development to me was Hauk because Hauk had been a problem this year. Hauk had not been good. And one of the big things, and Rob Bradford's going to have a story coming up about this tomorrow, is, you know all this crap, Alex, about the baseballs being different this year? Yeah, yeah. It screwed Hauk in terms of the grip on his slider. He had to change the grip on his slider. So uh, not to get too much into the weeds on this, but – Basically, the horizontal break on his slider was down 2.6 inches, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. And tonight, it was pretty much where it was a season ago. In fact, one of his sliders moved 20 inches horizontally. So he's back after altering his grip, so to speak. He's back to having that dominant slider. And he, if he has that what slider, I, he's a great pitcher. That's what I love about you. You are the statistician extraordinaire you have it all the angles the velocities <laughs> the stats you got it all down to, to, to you got it nailed but i'm happy to say he's doing great i'm happy with the Celts. i was convinced finally you know what i loved about this game and, and why i really agree with you now i don't think anybody stops them now not if they're going to play like this barring injury at the end of the second half uh, uh, the, the, you know before the end of the first half rather with about under two minutes to go, they were up 29 points. And in 30 seconds, they gave up uh, six points. And then there was a little scuffle under the basket, you know, and I saw Marcus on the floor trying to get the ball. And I thought, 
That's where they change it. They they finally were looking to close it out. They could they would always like lay back and they wouldn't close out a quarter or close out a half. And they closed out the first half and they got the you know numbers back up. And I thought, okay, now that they they finally stayed focused through the whole quarter and through the half. And and I was just convinced at that point on. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm with you on that, Alex. I appreciate the call as always, my friend. His line's open if you want to grab it at 617-779-7937. Yeah, it just felt like they let one slip away in game one. And they came out with all that energy in game one. And they were clearly the better team. They scored 64 points in the first half of that game. I mean, really think about it. The Celtics have had one bad half in this in this series so far. So they scored 64 points in the first half of game one. In tonight's game, they score 70 points in the first half, and they scored, what was it, 57 points in the second half. So they've had a 70-point quarter, a 64-point quarter, and a 57-point quarter. I mean, that's how good the Celtics have been in terms of this series so far. So we look at this Miami team, and Miami on the season has been a pretty good defensive team, as I mentioned earlier. They were fourth in the NBA in defense with a 108.4 defensive rating, and the Celtics have just completely done whatever they wanted so far in this series against these guys. Outside of one quarter where they just completely lost their damn mind and Jason Tatum turned the ball over six times and the Celtics as a team turned the ball over eight times and you basically gift-wrapped it an opportunity for the Miami Heat. It just comes down to me, it's a very simple formula for the Celtics to win this series. They are by far the better team. Don't turn the ball over. Don't put Jimmy Butler on the line. And you will win the series. And now it also does help the fact that this team just completely shot the lights out. I mean, it is unbelievable how well they shot the ball, especially in the first half. But they finished the game 20 of 40 from three. 20 of 40. I mean, that is absolutely remarkable to me. Unbelievable. And in this game, Miami is 10 of 34 from three-point territory. Miami was actually the best three-point shooting team from a percentage standpoint on the season. But Duncan Robinson, we saw him come back in the game tonight. He's been out of the rotation. He has not had a good shooting season. Matt Str- uh, Max Struess, rather, is the guy that is supposed to be the big shooter for them. Hit some shots in that game one. Tonight, all seven of his attempts from the field are from three, and he's two for seven. So that's obviously an issue for them. If he's not going to be able to hit his threes, they have no hope winning this series with the rest of these guys because Tucker, we know, is just a corner three-point shooter. Butler can't shoot threes. He hit one tonight, but he's one for three. He's not going to take threes, quite frankly. Hero off the bench took three threes. He was 0 for three. Oladipo took five threes off the bench. He's one for four, or one for five, rather. And Duncan Robinson, who they dusted him off, he was 0 for four from three-point territory. So what Spolster was trying to do was basically search for anything, and they just couldn't find it. And then, of course, we saw in the third quarter, I give Spolster credit. He's a really good coach. He came up with the idea of, especially that they started the third with the two bigs. He went to that zone, and it sort of, I don't want to say stymied the Celtics' offense, but it slowed them down, and part of that was the spacing. Once they put Grant onto the floor instead of Robert Williams, and they went to sort of that four, that five-out lineup, okay, well, then they got back going, and then they were generating easy shots, and they were able to break down the zone. So that's why I think one of the moves that Ime Adoka could make entering game three, and ordinarily coaches don't make these adjustments after wins, but one of the adjustments I think that would make a lot of sense for them in this series is to insert Grant into the starting lineup and have Robert Williams come off the bench 
And that way, when Al takes his break, that's when Robert Williams goes into the game and you only play with Robert Williams as the only big out there. I just think it makes the Celtics much more difficult to defend. I love Robert Williams. He gave you a lot defensively. He gave you a lot defensively in the first game as well. I just feel like the best lineups for the Celtics in this series are going to be your best offensive lineups because I don't think the Heat challenge you enough from a defensive perspective to scare you to make sure that Robert Williams, you need to play Robert Williams. I would just go with my best offensive lineups in this series and the best offensive lineups are going to have Grant Williams in them. All right, thanks to Justin Turpin for producing. I'll be back with you Saturday for Red Sox pregame. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe and be well. But how about those Celtics? Woo! T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.